Okay, so uh, we went to see one of our children, big children now, in Arizona. And those of you that know that I, I have a, a wedding message, and I use it, it's, it's, it's now folklore. It's now like, um, it's woven into the fabric of this church, an illustration on seeing the Grand Canyon um, that I have yet to see, right? So I've never been to the Grand Canyon, but I tell this illustration all the time about what happens when you go to the Grand Canyon, right? It's, the point is, when you go to the Grand Canyon, you don't have to work up marveling. The beauty, the wonder of the canyon just draws it out of you. Even if you're Presbyterian, you're going to sit there and you're going to go, marvel, marvel. If you're Pentecostal, you're like, whoo, marvel, and you're dancing, right? It doesn't matter what your personality is. It doesn't matter what your tradition is. If you see the wonder, the beauty of the canyon, it draws it out of you. You marvel. You marvel. So this was my week to finally go there to see the canyon, <laughs> and we were driving up there on, what day was it? Thursday. Driving up on Thursday, the Kleins got there. We never got there. It turned into a snow whiteout. It started snowing on the way to Flagstaff, and we're in a car that's like got tires. It's, it's my son's car, so do you think he has nice tires? No. Bald tires. And we had to turn around. And we went back to Sedona, but had an incredible time. Don't get me wrong. And then I knew it was confirmed when we were on this mountain, this climbing this cliff in Sedona, and there was this Texas couple from McKinney and overheard them while we were going up, and they were not. And we went by them, and they said, yeah, we just we tried to go to Grand Canyon today, but it turned into a whiteout in Flagstaff. And I was like, okay. But I was almost there almost there. Someday, someday I'll get to the Grand Canyon. I uh, had a wonderful time. Also, too, I know that many of you have been praying for me. Those of you that don't know, I mean, I'm two years into some sort of, um, really, what is it that I have? Nobody really knows. Some sort of violent sport stuff in my neck that's, that's easily inflamed and probably a virus, probably maybe the one you heard of, uh, jacked up all the nerves in that area. And so for three days, though, y'all, it was like it was gone. And I haven't had three days like that in two years. I was able to stand on top of mountains and look down and not have my world spin. I can't tell you what that's like. Um, the airplane driving back didn't start rotating on me like it did when I went to Florida two months ago. So I wonder, what does that mean? Is it the, the altitude, the air? Is it the dry? I don't know. But I'm still pushing forward because I got a taste of it. So keep praying. Something's, something's going to happen here. All right. Let's continue our series on, everybody know what the series is, right? Bible basics, you with me? So first we did the Bible, and the question was, what is the Bible? Then we did God. So who is God? Small topic. Then we went into control. Who has it? And then last week we looked at creation. Why is it? Well, today, what's today's doctrine? What's today's doctrine? Well, it's the most obvious doctrine of all. 
Everyone in this room already knows it. Everyone in this room experiences it. Everyone, it's clear to your minds, it's real to your heart. Everyone inside the church, outside the church knows it, experience it. Everyone who follows reason and science or follows their feelings and experience knows it, experiences it. Everyone who seeks and believes in capital T truth or follows my personal truth knows it, experiences it. You don't have to be taught this doctrine. You already know it. What is today's doctrine? It's the most personal doctrine of all. We don't know what life would be like without it. What would it be like to have a mental life, an emotional life, a spiritual life without it? You don't know. What would it be like to have relationships, a marriage, parent-child, siblings, neighbors, workmates, ball team teammates? What would it be like to have to not have this doctrine? You don't know. What would it be like to have a conversation with somebody without this doctrine? You don't know. What would it be like to, to go to work and get up and sleep and work hard without this doctrine? You don't know. What would it be like to suffer without this doctrine? You don't know. What would it be like to handle money and sex without this doctrine? You don't know. There's a star discovered recently, 2018, nicknamed Icarus. Anybody familiar with this, you science freaks out there, right? It's a blue star. It's the farthest individual star ever seen by the Hubble Space Telescope. It's in a very distant spiral galaxy, whatever that means. But this is what it means, this, this star, Icarus. The light from that star takes 9 billion years to reach the earth. Life without today's doctrine would be like living on Icarus. It's the great unknown to you. It's completely unknown to you. What's today's doctrine? Well, it's the most terrifying <laughs> doctrine of all. So I'm warning you, if you need to head out, that's fine. But this is the most terrifying doctrine we're going to look at. There are only two chapters in the Bible that this doctrine does not terrorize. Only two chapters in the Bible this doctrine does not victimize. There's only one chapter in the, in the whole Bible that's totally, this doctrine is totally completely, utterly missing, not even a whisper. If a tree or a toad were interviewed in this one and only chapter in the Bible and they were asked, hey, what do you know about such and such doctrine? The tree would say, what are you talking about? I never heard of such a thing. The toad would say, have you lost your mind? Have you been talking to that creepy snake over there? There's only one chapter in the Bible where no one believes in this doctrine. 
Nobody's ever heard of this doctrine. Universal unbelief in only one chapter of the Bible about this doctrine. What is today's doctrine? It's that doctrine that we don't speak of. It's like we're all in an M. Night Shyamalan movie called The Unspeakable Doctrine. We see its color everywhere, but we pretend it doesn't exist. We bury it. Remember that scene? They found the red and they buried it quickly. The color red. We experience its trouble everywhere, but we pretend everything's okay. We pretend to control it. We pretend to manage it. We pretend to figure it out. We pretend to fix it. We pretend to counsel it. We sedate it. What's today's doctrine? The creepy doctrine. Please stand for the hearing of God's word. Okay, so we're going to look at Genesis, then we're going to go into Mark, then we're going to go into Romans, okay? beast of the field that the Lord God had made, and he said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? You should be asking at this point, why aren't Adam and Eve freaking out right now? I mean, come on. This is like right out of the conjuring. And the answer is they're not freaking out because at the garden is the intersection of heaven and earth. At the garden, the creatures of heaven and the creature of earth mingle. It's a common occurrence. That's why they're not freaking out. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, nor neither shall you touch it lest you die. Now, we're not even looking at this, but this is the, the first legalist in the world just happened right here. The first moralist just happened. And you wonder why we're all bent that way? It's the, it's the heart of sin. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God. You'll know good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Now we're transitioning to Mark. Now when we get to Mark, you need to know that this is three worlds later. First world is the original world, world number one. The second world is the world of the fall before the flood, world number two. The third world is the world of the fall after the flood. Three worlds later, then Jesus is led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. All I have is Christ. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, what do you do? He stamps on the head of the serpent. Be gone, Satan. 
For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Now, what's going on? Adam and the snake? Jesus and the snake? What does this mean? And why should you care? Why should you care? Paul's going to tell us in Romans 5.12, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Verse 17, For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to the condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. O Lord, hear our prayers, do wondrous deeds, even now may we all hear in our own lives and in the person next to us the sound of dry bones rattling. We ask this in your name, amen. All right, so what is today's doctrine? Today's doctrine is the creepy doctrine. So the question is, well, what, you know, well, what is, that's cute, Jeff, great. But hey, man, this stuff is meant to help stick, stick to you, all right? So creepy doctrine. What is the creepy doctrine? 99.9% .9 of people, both inside and outside the church, think it's something we do. In other words, we do bad things. We think it's doing bad things, bad behavior, you know, like another country invading another country and committing war crimes. Or uh, we do political corruption, bad things, unless, of course, it's your political party, then it's justice. Uh, we do uh, lies. We commit adultery. But when, even as I wrote that, I said, but do we think that's bad anymore? I don't know. I don't know if that's bad anymore. We assault, we steal, we destroy property. Again, not sure if it's bad. Sometimes it is, sometimes it's not. And then every culture always adds new things to the bad list. Like one of the new things added to the bad list today is if you um, victimize or damage someone's self-image, right? That's on the bad list today. So. The creepy doctrine is we do bad things. We break laws. We break spiritual laws, moral laws, family laws, personal laws, cultural laws, political laws, civil laws, ideological laws. And of course, they vary from person to person, family to family, culture to culture, right? But we think the creepy thing is we do bad things. Some include in the doing bad list not doing what you should do. We saw it up here, historically called sins of omission. So not loving people is a bad thing. Not doing justice to people is a bad thing, right? Withholding friendship and acceptance and relationship to someone is a bad thing. Not doing what you should do in your thoughts, in your words, in your deeds is a bad thing. What is the creepy doctrine? Most answers something we do. So what's the cure for the creepy doctrine if it's something you do? What's the deliverance? What's the healing? What's the comfort? What's the salvation? 
So if the creepy doctrine is something we do, then the healing, the cure is also something we do, right? I mean, look what Adam and Eve are doing in verse 7. Then they would be right in what they're doing. This would be healing what they're doing in verse 7. This would be salvation in verse 7. This would be deliverance in verse 7. This is it. This is it. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. Here it comes. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. They fixed it. They cured their badness. They comforted their shame. They clothed their nakedness. They delivered themselves. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. What Adam and Eve are doing in verse 7, we do over and over and over again daily. Your eyes are opened. My eyes are opened. Your eyes are opened. What does it look like to be opened? You start asking things like, well, who am I? Who will love me? Your eyes are opened. You start touching into the reality of things. You start pushing into ultimate matters. Your eyes are opened. You're naked. Who am I? Who will love me? How do I love others? What's meaning? What's my mission in life, right? And then what do we do when our eyes are opened? Well, we do verse 7. We, we clothe ourselves. We deliver ourselves. We say things like, I am who I say I am. Or I am who they say I am. My boyfriend will love me. I've got to love myself first and then, then I can love others. My meaning and mission in life is to make money. My meaning and mission in life is to have sex. My meaning and my mission in life is to get the dean position. My meaning and mission in life is to get the degree. My meaning and mission in life is my parents' approval. My meaning and mission in life is we clothe ourselves. Your eyes are open. My eyes are open. You just re- I just lied, you say to yourself. I just, I'm judging her. I hate him. You realize it. You feel it. And then what do you do? You do verse 7. I do verse 7. We clothe ourselves. We deliver ourselves. We cover our own nakedness. I'm not a liar. I'm just messed up sometimes. Well, at least I didn't kill anyone. At least I'm not like them. I'll change. I'll do better. I'll become more committed. I'll be more dedicated and disciplined for God. I'll read my Bible more. I'll pray more. I'll be a better Christian. I'll ask the Holy Spirit to help me do it. They look like they're getting it done over there. I'll go over there. That book looks like it has the answer. I'll read that book and do that book. That's a pretty powerful communicator. I'll listen to all the podcasts and tapes. I'll find the secret. Your eyes are opened. 
My eyes are open. Sometimes it's just too traumatic to face. My marriage has failed. It's hard admitting that. You don't admit it. I don't know how I got here, you say to yourself. I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I'm like that. I'm shocked at who I find myself to be. And what do we do? We clothe ourselves. With what, you ask? With endless shame. With endless self-hatred. With endless anxiety and exhaustion and despair. Oh, we always clothe ourselves. Even when it looks like that, we're clothing ourselves. But clothing ourselves never works. Has it ever worked for you? How's it going in the clothing yourself department? For all of us, for any of us. Ask your child, how's it going, son? How's it going, sweetie? How's it going clothing yourself right now? Ask your spouse, ask your friends, ask your teammates. Ask those you work with. So how's it going clothing yourself? Pretty good. See what I got? Clothing ourselves never works. What's today's doctrine? It's the creepy doctrine. What is the creepy doctrine? It's not something you do. It's something you're in. I cannot emphasize how important this is. I cannot emphasize how we need to get this into your bones, and I need to get this into my bones. Sin is not something you do. It's something you're in. Romans 5.12, therefore, just as the sin. Now, I'm giving you the literal translation. I'm so sad that the English versions have not picked this up because it's in the original language. And those that do theology and do the hard work of digging into the text and can work with the original language see this and they get the benefits and they write on it and their books do well. But you need to see that what Paul does with sin is he turned, he puts a definite article in front of it and calls it the sin. And he doesn't say and use sins. He does use sins. Don't get me wrong. But when he talks about what we're talking about now, he calls it the sin. Sin in the singular, not plural. Therefore, just as the sin, so not the sins or not sins, the Sin. Paul is telling us about an ancient invader. Just as the sin entered the world as an invader, a dark power. What is this invader's name? What is it? Everybody whispers its name. Everybody's afraid of this invader. It's terrorizing, death, destruction everywhere. What's its name? The sin. In Genesis 3, 1 through 7, which we read, remember? Now, Moses is the author of the first five books of the Bible. So 
Well, when did he get those first five books of the Bible? Probably somewhere after the Exodus, on the way to the Promised Land, probably on Mount Sinai. And there's some debate. Oh, well. But Moses wrote the books. He was the human author. God's the divine author. Two meaningful authors. 100% God's words, 100% human words. Just a side note, if you want to know what the 100% God's words are, understand the 100% human words. That's God's words. So, why am I saying that? Here's why I'm saying it. What's the context? Israel just came out of enslavement to a pharaoh. And he's now telling us in Genesis 3, 1 through 7, about a more diabolical pharaoh, a crueler pharaoh, a creepier pharaoh, a more powerful pharaoh. What's his name? The sin. Therefore, just as the sin came into the world through one man and death through the sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Sin is the creepy doctrine. The sin is the creepy doctrine. What we are in is the creepy doctrine. Anybody read Lord of the Flies? Let's see. Okay, good, good. Excellent. William Golding's classic, Nobel Prize winner, right? Never forget reading that book. What's going on with those boys and Piggy, right? I mean, all of that. But it's about these nice, sweet, young British boys, English boys, little Lord Fauntleroy boys, the nicest, sweetest, cherub-faced British boys. And they get stranded on an island because they were being evacuated during wartime. Their plane went down. The adults died in the plane. And these boys are all that's left. No adults survive. They start off pretty well. They have good intentions. They try to govern themselves. They try to work together as a team. They, um, they try to do good. And then it all descends into you-know-what. Darkness. Anxiety, fear, spinning of things that don't exist. Dehumanizing each other. The point of the book, though, is interesting. It comes at the end of the book, and it comes from a slaughtered pig's head. And the oracle, the point of the book, the slaughtered pig's head tells the point of the book. And here's the point of the book. The slaughtered pig's head says to you, the reader, because I just read this guy, he was so sick and tired of all these stranded kid books where everything was so great. Treasure Island, Robinson Crusoe, well, it wasn't too great for him. Swiss Family Robinson, right? The kids thrived. The kids were like, it turned into heaven and paradise. And he said he was tired of those stories. 
He wanted to write a real one. Here's the oracle. Fancy thinking the beast was something you could hunt and kill. You knew, didn't you? I'm part of you. Fancy thinking the beast was something you could hunt and kill, something you can do, something you can control and manage. But I'm part of you. You're in it. The sin is something we are in. We are in it because of one man, and this freaks everybody out. But the Bible's clear, you're in it because of one man. All you do is validate that you're in it. Therefore, verse 12, just as the sin, and some Bible experts really for the past 2,000 years call this original sin, which is great. I like the sin better. Therefore, just as the sin came into the world through, do you see that? One man. And death through sin. So Adam's sin released sin into the world. Adam's sin released the invader into the world. Adam's sin released the Pharaoh into the world. And this sin, did you see the text? This sin carries death with it. Do you see how that works? The sin comes into the world and death is in his wake. And death reigns. We live in, to borrow from the Netflix hit series Stranger Things, we live in right now the upside down. Now, it's better. We're going to look at this doctrine's coming up. It might be creepier. It's probably creepier, but this is pretty creepy. We're living in the upside down, which means we're in a world that's been turned inside out because the invader comes in. But the world should have gone the moment Adam and Eve sinned right to final condemnation. But God didn't send it to final condemnation. He sent it sideways to corruption because there's going to be someone else coming. So even this wretched world, sinful world, the invader's world, is an act of grace. So think about that sometimes amidst all the chaos and craziness that's going on right now. Because the day you eat of it, you will die was supposed to happen right on the spot. These are, there are doctrines now. We're going to look at a couple doctrines, so we've got to put our thinking caps on, because what this does, doctrine is drama, doctrine is life, doctrine's on fire, doctrine's not dead, doctrine's not dusty, doctrine is drama, because doctrine is reality, and doctrine is giving us, it's like doctrine comes in and we're like, I don't know how to see, I don't know what's going on in this room, and all of a sudden, this is doctrine. You see, this is doctrine. So we're now going to put some doctrine on because there's some doctrines that describe the sin we're in. Here's one of them. The big one is called condemnation. This is the sin's condemnation. You'll hear words like condemnation. You heard words like guilt. Heard that? You'll hear words like uh, the wrath of God. You probably have heard that. You'll hear words like the curse in the Bible, okay? These are all describing. Now, what we're going to be doing is we're going to look at words that have 
uh, sticky statements, doctrines, but there's also images. So you have ideations and images in the Bible all trying to communicate reality to us and giving us different angles of things. So what tends to happen by some bad theologians is they focus on one ideation, one image, and they make it the one that rules them all. When the Bible is giving you a multi-perspective of ideations and images all throughout the Bible describing the sin. Well, here's one of them, condemnation. That's focusing on the legal penalty for sin. Condemnation, guilt, curse, legal source. The day you eat of it, you will, what? Die, God told them. Now, I want you to think about it this way. If God is life, and God is love, and God is light, what else is there out here? Well, the Bible tries to tell us if he's life, out here is death. If he's light, out here is darkness. If he's love, out here is rejection. See that? This is doctrine. This is doctrine. So, condemnation focuses on the legal source of sin. You also need to know doctrines that describe what goes with sin's uh, condemnation. It's so interesting is that you look at the new perspectives of Paul. If you don't, I know you don't know this stuff. Bless you that you don't. I, I, I don't like that I do either. But what ends up happening is, is that people will always confuse the legal source with the dynamic power that comes from the legal source. Some reason we can't maintain these two. We can't maintain justification, legal source, the dynamic power, life, Holy Spirit. We can't maintain condemnation, legal source for sin, and the dynamic power that comes with it, death, comprehensive death, eschatological death. We can't keep these two together. So theologians take one, build a theology on it, forget the other, or they take this one and swallow up the other one. And, and that's how you do theology today. There you go. I just send you lots of time and lots of money on books. So, the legal source of condemnation, the sentence of you eat it, you die. Well, Paul says it this way. The wages of sin, sin carries with it death, death. So some words you might want to know, some doctrines. There's comprehensive death would include eternal death, final judgment, hell. You've heard these words before. Final condemnation. You've heard spiritual death, right? That's where you can actually be physically alive but spiritually dead, come into this world. You know, we call it the zombie around here. Physically alive, spiritually dead. Um... You could call it the Adamic self, the flesh, the sinful nature, corruption. These are other doctrines that accompany it. They're talking about the dynamic power of death. It's difficult to take all this in, I know that. But I want you to hear those doctrines because those doctrines are there, those doctrines are helpful, those doctrines are drama, those doctrines are designed to help you. Sometimes it's easier, though, just to explain all this away, isn't it not? I mean, it's just easier. It's, it's so much easier not to face that sin is something we're in. 
And that's why we turn it into something we do. I can't tell you how many theological traditions, how many theological stripes, how many theological systems do just that. That whole debate that we're going to have on Arminianism and Calvinism, whatever that is. You know what Dr. Hannah used to say? The, the diseases of the upper respiratory system, the isms, is all about your understanding of sin. Is it something you do? Well, then verse 7 makes sense. Clothe yourself. Or is it something you're in? If it's something you're in, it means you can't deliver yourself from it. You can't clothe yourself. You can't comfort your shame. You can't take away the guilt or the curse or the condemnation because you're in it. One theologian said it's like this. It's like being in a swamp up to your nose, grabbing the top of your hair and trying to pull yourself out. That's what we do day after day after day. That's what it means to try to clothe yourself. That's what Adam and Eve are doing in verse 7. I want Augustine to help you, though. He's one of the best, one of the brightest. Let him help you. You know what he said? He had this person called Pelagius. You don't need to know his name. But it, it's a good thing to study for this reason. He said, Pelagius... He says, listen, if all sin is voluntary, then why does everyone volunteer? If sin is something we do, then why do we all do it? Why? Because the creepy doctrine says the sin is something you're in. If sin is something we're in, we cannot deliver ourselves. It means we need to be delivered. We need a deliverer. We need a savior. We need a what? Second Adam. Romans 5.18, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification of life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. So the first Adam, it's so incredible, y'all. The first Adam was full. The first Adam was filled the first Adam was overflowing with everything. He was filled with paradise. He was home. He had a home. He was filled with food. All he had to do was reach out and get five-star food no matter where he was. All he had to do was say, Abe, Eve, could you reach over and grab that one over there? I'm, I'm a little full right now, but I'm still eating. He was filled with the love of another, certainly his wife Eve, right? But God, the one who made all these things for him, the one that loved him to the moon and back, literally. And yet he wanted more, right? 
To be exact, though, he didn't just want more. He wanted to be more. Be more than who he was. Do you feel that? It's called wanting to be God-like. It always wrecks us. Never justifies us. It never clothes us. Ever. But the second Adam, the first Adam was filled. But the second Adam was emptied till there was nothing left. He was emptied of home. He was emptied of paradise. In fact, in this text, he's in the wilderness. He's in the wasteland, not paradise. He was emptied of food. Remember, he didn't eat for 40 days. Uh, he was emptied of the love of another. Remember on the cross, he's emptied of God's love. He's separated from God's love. And every human companionship and friend he had. He was emptied of himself by a snake. I mean, can you imagine? Here you are, God himself, and just before the wilderness, God says, you are my son. whom I love. The very next verse says, and then he goes into the wilderness, and the snake says to him, if you are the son. Bop, bop, bop. If you are the son. If you're loved by God. The second Adam became sin. Specifically, he became your sin. So what that means is that he became the sin you're in. And all its multi-expressions of sins. That's why if you come up to me and people come up to me all the time and say, man, did you hear about so-and-so's sins? And I'll be like, oh, boy, what am I supposed to do? Oh, oh, ah. Yeah, that's a real bad one. You know what's worse? The one you're in. You might have different textures of sins in your life. That's why all the cultural sins that everybody gets all worked up about and boycotts Disney over and all that nonsense. Makes no sense. Because you're in it. And then what's the answer? Well, my answer is go to Jesus and he'll deal with those. Don't clothe yourself before you go to Jesus. That makes no sense. Adam became your sin, so he became your sinful nature. He became the zombie, and he became all the specific sins you struggle with. And then that also means that the second Adam was condemned because if he becomes your sin, he's now condemned. So he became the curse. He became the wrath of God. He got the legal sentence, rejection, disapproval. Be gone from me. And then that means that, that legal source, that legal condemnation carries comprehensive death with it. So he became, the second Adam became enslaved to sin enslaved to darkness, enslaved to 
the ultimate Pharaoh. He died and died and died and never stopped dying for all eternity. The second Adam emptied himself till there was nothing left. Why? To fill you up. Justification and love. We're going to hit those things in the future. But right now, you need to know that the second Adam looked at you and loved you and said, I will empty myself. I will decreate myself. I will fall to pieces, piece by painful piece, till there are no pieces left so you can be whole so you can be full, so you can be filled, so you can be complete. Justification.